Welcome to Post-Mormon at the Movies, brought to you by Nick and Dan. On this podcast, we talk about movies and how they often relate to our experiences in and out of the Mormon Church. This is episode 26, Stardust. This episode was recorded in August 2021. Today, we're going to be talking about the movie Stardust, directed by Matthew Vaughn and based on Neil Gaiman's book, Stardust. And we are excited because we have a guest on to talk about this movie with us. Uh, Kyle, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nick. I'd love to. Uh, My name is Kyle, and I love movies. I'm really excited to be here. Just recently discovered uh, the podcast a couple of weeks ago and just been burning through the episodes. So thanks for being willing to have me on. And uh, my my background in the church is born in the church and raised in the church. And, you know, at this ripe old age of uh, still <laughs> still a believing member. So um, I appreciate you guys being willing to have me on to chat about Stardust. It's a it's a fun movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a it's a favorite of mine. Um, we're we're glad to have you on the show. It's always fun to meet a fan in real life, or at <laughs> least at least electronically, you know, virtually. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. Kyle just reached out through our social media, and you know, we chatted a little bit, and so excited to have have him on the show. So welcome. Thanks. Yeah, it's fun to hear that we're binge worthy. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, once you listen to Frozen, you got to listen to Frozen 2, and then yeah. it just it just accelerated from there, yeah. That, that's how we get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, and actually, Kyle was the one who picked the movie Stardust, um, and I was really excited when he brought that one up, because it's been one of my favorites. Yeah, I also love that movie. I feel like it's kind of like a modern version of princess bride or at least oh, it has like the vibes what did exactly, i say your point no well i i'll just concur sorry okay. i i concur <laughs> i'll stay calm here yeah i thought the exact same thing good point good point and and i feel like the princess bride has like a very strong presence within mormondom i don't know if either of you feel that but i feel like it was a very common thing like you know when i attended byu there'd be like there's always somebody watching it. It's very family friendly, but you know, a good adventure, action, comedy, romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I totally agree that I think it has a lot of ties to at least the tone and feel of Princess Bride without really covering any of the same ground. Like it's a very different movie, but I think that, and, and I feel like this movie, I'd, I'd have to look it up. I can't remember exactly when it came out, but I feel like it came out around the time that like I was at BYU and it felt like Stardust was a movie that like was sort of a a watch together movie. Like, Hey, let's get together and watch a movie. And Stardust came up a few times that it felt like Stardust started to gain some of that love among Mormons too, I think. Yeah. It's got a little more edge or a little, it's a little bit darker. Like yeah, my six-year-old has seen Princess Bride many times and has not seen Stardust yet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to hold out on that one. I, I actually have a funny story about that. I actually had to look, ba- I wanted to look back to see when it came out because I 
I thought that it had came out when I was on my mission and it did. It okay. came out right after I'd left on my mission. So I didn't see it till I got back. And I saw it really recently after getting back from my mission. And I have to say, I was not a fan at first <laughs> because I think I still had like that mission high spirituality, you know, and mm -hmm. like you jump into this movie and the very first thing that happens is like this guy goes and hooks up with this, you know, they end up having a kid and I'm yeah. like, you know, freshly returned missionary me is like, really? And then like, you know, having my parents laugh at all the inappropriate jokes later on through the movie. And I'm like, mm -mm. like, I don't know. But like, you know, fortunately that phase passed really quickly. And after a couple more viewings, I just really fell in love with it a lot. So, but that's, that's just a funny anecdote that I remember when I first watched it. My, my first, since we're talking about post-mission movies, my first was Batman Begins. Oh, yeah. That, I got over the high pretty quick because I was just eating it up. That was, yeah. uh, that was really fun. That's a good one. To... Yeah. The first one that I, the first movie I watched after my mission was The Dark Knight. So right in line oh. with you. But yeah, that was, I jumped in the deep end. I think <laughs> nice. With that one. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so Kyle, I wanted, before we sort of dive into talking about the movie more, I was curious why you picked this one other than it just being a good movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, I guess coming from the perspective of believer and this being post-Mormon at the movies, a lot that you've said in, in previous episodes has really resonated with me. And, you know, my, my wife is in the post-Mormon boat. So we're, you know, we're kind of a mixed faith marriage and if correct me if I'm wrong, but is that, same for anyone that's else the here? same for me yeah okay yeah. yeah and so when i watched stardust nothing really like stood out as this is this is great like this is something like the truman show right like nothing was really jumping out to me as great for mormons and post-mormons to kind of reconcile or, or something to bring them together but what i loved was a line in the book actually that doesn't that doesn't come from the movie uh, I didn't make it into the movie, I guess I should say, you know, maybe you've heard it before, but um, it's, it's kind of the line that when I heard it, I was like, it was a time when I was kind of struggling uh, a little bit with the, with the situation, with my own faith and like, where am I being forced to choose God? Am I supposed to choose my wife and family? Like, where, where do I go now? It was, you know, very difficult to navigate. And a lot of people close to me were also going the the path of of post-mormonism and so it was uh, the line from the book that that jumped out out to me was this better i should call to people who aren't there than that people who are there should miss us because i didn't say anything and i think tristan being like the believer that he is you know he just he reminds me in the in the story about of um the guy from the book of mormon musical you know, just like mm -hmm. really zealous in his belief. And he's like screaming and shouting. And she's like, who are you even talking to? And, and that's when he's, he delivers that line. And I just thought, okay, you know, even though you're struggling, even though you don't know if God's there, maybe it's just better to call out as if someone is there than to stop calling out and he misses you or, you know, you miss him and you miss that relationship. So that just like, boom, got me. And, and I was like, I, I think there's, things to discuss and with the podcast and talk to the guys about. Um, so that's kind of where I went with the stardust idea. No, I like that. I I've never read the book. I've read a couple other things by Neil Gaiman, which I've loved mm -hmm. and hopefully I'll get around to stardust one day, but 
Um, I hadn't heard that. So I thought that was awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And I definitely agree that like, it feels like I, I did read the book and enjoyed it a lot. It's been a while since I've read it, but I think that one of the things that stood out for me is I think what you are talking about with sort of Tristan's character, where he's just like, just so sort of like, it's not naive, but it's like just an endearing sort of like tenacity in sort of like what he stands for and like what he believes. And, and I think that that is, like you said, I think there is a lot of to draw from there and sort of like, oh, I've seen that in myself or in other members of the church a lot too, that sort of like character traits that I think are endearing and positive in a lot of ways. I think like being earnestly hopeful, I guess, yeah, would be a way to describe it. At least that's the vibe that I get from the movie. Yeah. And I'm sure people would, who know me well would describe me that way. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm okay with that. Like I'll, huh. I'll, I'll take it. And I see a lot more than just that in, in Tristan. Well, I guess it's the same, the same point is illustrated in this other story where, <laughs> you know, I watched this. So 2007 single guy, right at the time and just kind of navigating college and um, in the culture at BYU, it's, it's kind of emphasized. I'll try to be polite, um, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that you get married, that you, that you find your Evane, right? Mm-hmm. But not really. It's kind of like, you're kind of encouraged to find your Veronica, right? Like, I think you mentioned in a previous episode that if you're, if you're a good missionary, you get a hot wife or something like that. <laughs> like that's <laughs> kind of a joke, but yeah. So it's, it's almost like his earnestness with pleasing Veronica kind of set him on the on the path is it veronica or victoria thank you it is victoria checks notes victoria (laughs) good yeah so it's just funny that you know i i look at tristan and he's like i kind of think what a fool that he he would kind of run off uh to try to find this fallen star to please victoria who clearly isn't that interested and it just reminded me of a girl in high school that was like I respect you and your religion and I don't want to date you until you're 16. And I was like, oh man, you really do care about me. But in retrospect, it's a pretty sweet burn, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that earnestness is definitely something that, that resonated. Yeah. I have to say, I love me some Charlie Cox. Mm. Yeah. Big you fan know. of Netflix's Daredevil show. Yeah. Most yeah. recently seen in Daredevil, I guess. I don't know, but it's, it's it's fun seeing him in this movie because he's a lot younger than mm-hmm. than he is now. Um, and his like romantic rival at the beginning of this movie is Superman. So. Right. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. yeah. No way. Way like the makeup and huh. sort you know everything okay. doesn't look like him. But yeah, that's Superman versus Daredevil. All right. Yeah, I'm, I think we need a sequel. It's probably time. Yeah. Time to bring him back. <laughs> yeah. Reboot. I just love how. You know, he got the haircut from Robert De Niro and all of a sudden it, his hair was a lot longer. You know, that's one of my favorite, favorite details. Right. Yeah. Well, I just love sort of the, like, I think the Princess Bride of it all is just sort of like this, because Princess Bride, I think, does have some darkness to it. It's obviously more family friendly, I think. But, you know, we were waffling between sort of like some very dire sort of circumstances in this movie with then like Robert De Niro's character being this like very fun and interesting sort of side character. And I think just like this movie balances a lot of tones really well. And it's 
just so hard to pull that off. And so like I, we've talked about Tristan and sort of his story. I think the brothers that are all trying to get the stone to like become king, that whole storyline is just super fun to follow. And I love all the visual sort of gags of them staying on as ghosts yeah. to watch mm-hmm. all the remaining brothers compete. And then everything with the witches is also sort of like, it's just a fun structure to have the falling star sort of draw together these and separate storylines. Con- all converges at the end. Yeah. 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 The, all the parallel storytelling is super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys give spoiler warnings or do we, are we kind of just assumed it's a spoiler territory? Well, I think, yeah, for this movie, it's old enough that. Right. If you haven't seen it by now. I don't, I don't have one yet. I was just yeah. making sure. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's got a, uh, it's got hocus pocus vibes to it. You know, when you mentioned that the too. witches and they're uh-huh. trying to stay young and that's another very uh, Mormon pop culture movie. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I think so too. So it's good. It's got all the reasons why Mormons would want to love this film. Yeah. Uh-huh. I definitely, I mean, it feels like a Disney movie that wasn't made by Disney in a lot of ways. Like it's uh-huh. yeah. maybe a little more hip and sort of edgy than Disney, but, but it feels like it falls in that same ballpark, which I think we've talked, as we've talked about on other episodes, like princesses and fairy tales, like just feels, I don't know, part of the identity of Mormons, especially in the United States. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious, like when we like, I guess that sort of side of things, like from a believing point of view, like who, someone who likes movies, why do you think Mormons gravitate to these sort of stories like fairy tales so much? Well, it helps that the couple is heterosexual. I'll say, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) right. Like it's, uh, I just think it's it's about family. It's about true love. It's about being together forever. Like it just kind of hits on all the the beats of like the perp, the reason that we're all here, you know, and and the eternal life in the castle with the love of your life and or your mansion. I should say, not a castle. Let's do let's do scriptural references, right? Yeah, your, yeah. your mansion above. <laughs> so, I I guess I can't speak for all believing Mormons, but at least for me, just kind of seeing, you know, this big, strong man do heroic things and save people and get the girl at the end, like at least growing up, it was very much like, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. This is, this is right. And now that I'm kind of a little bit older, hopefully a little bit wiser, just the the way this kind of flips it. And, you know, they're very much at odds at the beginning. She's obviously very strong, capable, and he's a little bit like conniving and almost a jerk right mm-hmm. at the beginning. Like he's definitely in the wrong. Um, so just kind of seeing it almost through more feminist eyes made me endeared me, I guess I should say to this story a lot more. Yeah. And I think too, there's the whole, um, you know, whenever we have these kind of fantasy adventures, there's always the, you know, the epic good versus evil and, mm-hmm you know, the, the eternal struggle of, of that, which I, I feel resonates really strongly with, you know, not just people in Mormon culture, but like culture all over the world. But that's something definitely that's easy for people in a, in the Mormon culture that can latch onto. And, and there's a lot of villains in this film. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a, several to kind of channel that um, like, uh, get that villain. Well, and then there's, and then there's people that appear to be villainous and, turn out turns out that you can't judge them from those first impressions you know right well i think that's a lot of sort of the a lot more at least one theme of this movie is sort of that 
that idea of like, you can't judge a book by its cover, which is trite and, you know, but I think a very true moral of the story. True principles. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, you know, both that Tristan and who he thinks he loves in the village, she isn't who he thinks she is. And in when he meets Yvain, that the same thing, like he judges her, I think. And, and we sort of get that throughout that, like, as they encounter people, the witch is obviously hiding her true intentions in manipulating them and sort of learning to trust and sort of getting to know the people seems to be a theme throughout sort of this, which I think is sort of true of a lot of fairy tales that like ulterior motives and hiding who you really are. And, and I think that this, what I really love at least about like the main character stories is, is sort of that idea that like the like confusion at the end where Tristan leaves and it's the sort of that question of like, oh, has he left her, you know, sort of he's gotten what he wanted and now he can go get Victoria. And, and then it's really like to let her go so that he can go back because he's realized who he truly loves. And, and that, you know, complication kind of spins us into the final act of this movie. Um, Just, I, I don't want to move on from the, you know, don't judge a book because, you know, watching it, rewatching it recently and De Niro's character being like the hardened pirate mm-hmm. and, you know, there's the analogy or takeaway, I guess, is something that something that I'd like to be better at is realizing that people have interests and he, you know, he liked to dress up and dance around and like his crew kind of accepted him anyway and kind of went along. And I don't I don't know, I guess there's a few ways to look at this because a lot of times people in the church feel like they do have to pretend or put on a face to be accepted or, you know, to feel like they belong. And maybe the rest of us are just going along with that act, but it'd be great if, you know, everyone in the church could be their authentic self, including those who want to stay in, but have issues. Like if they could voice those issues and feel like they were heard, then that would be, that would be great. And that's something that anyway, I've just been thinking about recently listening to the show, stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's a really great message for like anybody, no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith, like just because you're a believing member of the church doesn't mean X, Y, and Z, you know, telling that to maybe people who have left or who have never been Mormon, you know, there's a wide range of ways that you can be a Mormon, right? You know, there's, there's a wide variety of opinions of being someone who's left the church. And, you know, I've experienced people who have had thoughts about what they think it means to be an ex Mormon and which, you know, might not be necessarily true. So I think no matter where you are in the church route, I think that's a great message and something that this movie does a good job of showing. Mm-hmm. So good point. I mean, maybe don't use the word whoopsie or, you know, another <laughs> right. <type of laughs> turn. but yeah, they're pirates. We'll, we'll yeah, they're old timey pirates. So yeah. yeah. Well, and I love that because the vibe that I get at least, you know, is that like the pirate crew, like they know, they like kind of know. But- yeah. That like, it's not, it's not like this huge revelation to them that their, their captain is his personality and likes to dress up and sort of dance and be a little more feminine than them. And like, they sort of like, we know, and like, it's fine. Like, and which I think is like, like that's who you'd want, like as your friends and sort of the close, the people that are close to you is that like, when that sort of stuff is like, yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, there, I, I definitely agree that at least from my point of view that like, there's definitely work to be done. And I think on both sides 
of that issue, but especially like felt that um, in sort of my journey out of the church that like would have enjoyed more of that sort of like, we don't care, you know, sort of attitude. But, you know, I remember back when I was believing member of the church, like even, even in high school with some of my friends, it's like there, there was a little bit of baggage with that, that could happen sometimes. And, and so it was nice to be with friends who were like, oh, we don't care. And we're not going to assume, you know, that you're a certain way. Yeah. um, Just because you belong to this group. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, Nick, you were about to say something earlier. I think you were headed toward the end maybe, or I don't know. Yeah, I think, well, and I'll have to get that back. I think one of the things, Kyle, you can probably correct me on this. The end of the movie is very different than the end of the book. Mm. And it sounds like you probably read it more recently or maybe remember it better than I, I do. But in the movie, we obviously like all sort of come to this big conclusion where, you know, it's the movie sort of ending where everything comes together and we have our big sort of final battle that finally, and, and the movie sort of has the ending of the book in it because the witch sort of is like, I'm going to let you go. And that's sort of how the book ends is that the witch finally is like, it's not worth it. Like you gave your heart away, you know, to vain. She's saying like, you gave your heart away and like, I, now it, I can't take it. And so it's yeah. like, I'm going to get old and die and I'm going to have to live with that. And the, the movie sort of like gives us that fake out and then has like a final sort of now, but this is a movie. We got to have a little more climactic action here. But I think that that's sort of like to put the point on that, like don't judge a book by its cover. I think the one of the things that I love about the book is that the ending sticks that landing. I think that like in the end, the witch is not who we thought that she was then like ends up like sort of being the way that we get the happy ending and not sort of the brave can, you know, fight or anything that we expect it to, uh, to come out of a movie. The book takes us on a left turn at the very end. That's kind of fun. And I think really hits home on a, lot, on a lot of those themes. Yeah, I was, I had seen the movie first, then I read and I was like, wait a minute, where's the big, where's the big battle? Where's the big final fight? But it, um, yeah, I, I agree. She kind of, she took a turn and when Tristan, which in the book, it's Tristran, which is really glad they changed that because it's <laughs> a pain to say, we'll just keep calling him Tristan. When he and he and Yvain kind of begin their life together, their journey together, they spend a lot more time in the world having adventures and, you know, they don't just sit in their castle enjoying their, their royalty. They, they kind of go off and fight more monsters and have more adventures and live a very full life that eventually does come to an end. Well, you know, on their terms, it comes to an end because they both had immortality and they said, all right, we're ready to, we're ready to go. And they, they use the, is it a Roman candle? Uh, Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. yeah, Babylon. <laughs> Sorry, wrong region. But they uh, they use the the Babylon candle to get back to get back up into the stars, and they like become stars for forever. So, yeah, I mean, exaltation, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, immortality and eternal life. Yeah, it. Uh, I guess I liked that element of the book because they they lived, you know, they lived their life on on Earth. You know they enjoyed their their time here, and some sometimes I worry that I'm so focused and just so intent on like this goal of eternal life and what's going to come next and what comes after and like first resurrection and celestial kingdom that I'm not like enjoying this one shot at mortality that we have, and that there's so much in this world that is beautiful and and amazing and like I don't. I don't want to miss it. 
you know, I want to, I want to enjoy it. This, this kind of one chance that we have here. And I think, I think you guys touched on that in an earlier episode, but that also is like, yeah, we, we gotta, we gotta enjoy this world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just continue in this, in this vein because Claire Dane gives a speech when he's a mouse. You guys remember uh-huh. that speech? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a great speech. That's, uh-huh. that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. And we haven't talked about Claire Danes much, but she is, she is the star of the show. And uh, that uh, pun uh. was intended, but she, uh, <laughs> she's just very vibrant character, like her mm-hmm. eyes and smile, like everything about her. Brilliant. Very, very brilliant. Yeah. She just glows. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed her character and, and that speech where it's just, it's just her and it's cutting to the mouse, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's so much, there's comedy in it, but there's still that sincerity and, and beauty. So that's, that's also one of my favorite parts of the show. Yeah. I really like how this story is a coming of age, I guess. And just seeing Tristan, just realizing that Victoria is not for him and that's not what he would be happy with. And, you know, as he gets, goes through his relationship with Yvaine, just kind of discovers, oh, wait a minute. The thing that I initially thought I wanted isn't, isn't it. And he has to go kind of on this adventure to learn you know, what his new priorities and kind of what his new desires and goals are. Um, and, you know, whether this is a traditional take on a coming of age or not, that's, that's up for discussion, but I just really enjoyed his journey. And like you said, just kind of getting to know Evane and realize that that's who he would be happy with. Yeah. And I think that, cause I agree that I feel like, you know, we've talked about movies before that are sort of that, like, Oh, the, the world I thought I was in isn't the world that I'm actually in and that sort of like eye-opening thing and for him it's that like he thought a certain thing and and then as he goes across the wall and sort of gets to experience and learn about like where he comes from more we get a lot of that sort of coming of age and 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 similar themes to stuff like Truman Show but not necessarily to that degree but I think that one of the things that I think is interesting is that Tristan seems too old to be having a coming of age story happen like he yeah like he's, it seems like he should be old. Like he's talking about marriage and it's like, he's still like, this is coming. Yeah. This coming of age should have like, usually this sort of story feels like this should have happened a little earlier. And I like that about him that like, I think it feeds into his character of that sort of like earnestness of like, that he probably like is sort of coming of age a little later than maybe other people. And, and I think that plays into his character a lot. And I think obviously feeds into sort of his misunderstanding of and sort of misreading the cues about Victoria, I think too. And, but I think it also like is, is again, just sort of endearing about his character that we get to see this world through his eyes and, and what he thinks he knows versus what he gets to discover. And, and I do think that like when he meets you, that like our expectation of sort of like the fun little joke of like, he's looking for the star that fell. And it's like, it should be right here and isn't sort of connecting that like, oh, wait, it's you right away. Like our expectation of like what he's meeting in her versus what she becomes is just really fun too. And I think that like, I guess speaking to sort of that like mixed faith marriage sort of side of it that I really like relationships like this where it's like, yeah. And I think like Disney fairy tales, those princess stories have gotten better at sort of like making both sides, the princess and the prince or the two love interests like be fully developed characters that like they each, they have conflict and it's not just they're destined to be together and everything's going to be good. And I think that's super helpful. Like these sort of romances and fairy tales are much more helpful to like real life 
marriage, I think, and sort of like expectations of what marriage is really like. And, and that like, obviously they're from two entirely different worlds. She's not even from earth and sort of like the collision of those, that conflict doesn't have to be like, it, you know, ends up leading to a relationship. And I feel like if we got to see their whole life story, I'm sure they're not going to be like happily ever after perfect life forever. Like, but that that's okay. And I feel like, I think we do, you know, as someone who's like, has a daughter who grew up on Disney princesses and, you know, went to Disneyland all the time living in California. Like there are things I rub up against with Disney princesses where it's like, oh, like that's not quite the message that I think we should be giving little girls who are sort of the primary audience for Disney movies. Sometimes I think there's difficulties in sort of some of those messages of the early Disney films. And, and I think Stardust is a good example of like us moving to recognize that like, well, we can portray like these sort of fairy tale romances more natural. And like, I think about like Frozen 2, when we watched that, Anna and Kristoff's relationship, or that's one of my favorite Disney romances now because of how they portray that relationship. Yeah, that's really well said. That was another reason I wanted to talk about this movie because um, just from the the mixed faith marriage standpoint, you know, thinking thinking your whole life that you're going to fall in love and, and marry someone that's the Victoria, right? That's a certain way that's in the world that you're in. It believes the things that you believe. You see eye to eye on everything and you're just going to say your prayers together every night and right and do all the things that you know maybe you've grown up seeing your parents do or seeing other other people do and you're like yep that's this is the path this is the world and then meeting and falling in love with someone who you know ends up not being in necessarily in that world and kind of realizing that that your love for that person is stronger than you know and and wherever they are in whatever world they they come from or you know the spectrum of belief your love is for them and not what they do or what they believe or don't believe and and, you know the fact that she can't go into his world right with Mm -hmm. that realization and it's kind of this twist at the end that she will turn to dust and he has to like run back to keep her from coming into the world yeah like it's kind of like oil and, and water at this point where the the worlds don't really don't really uh jive you know where she Mm -hmm. can't really come into this believing world that i'm in or you know the you know the church or whatever so um so yeah that was another thing that was like whoa kind of jumping out to me yeah i like that and i think that um because yeah i i uh, agree with all that and i think that's all really great i think it was about sort of like at the beginning sort of what he thinks again sort of with Victoria, like who he thinks she is. And, and I think that discovery of like really the surface level, like relationship, and that is really simple. And a lot of what we sort of expect from a fairy tale sort of romance. And I think even sort of calls that out along the way of like all the things he doesn't know about Victoria or all the things that he hasn't thought about. And that like, it's just more difficult to like dig in and like get into sort of the messiness of people of like, making a relationship work with people who are flawed and sort of mm-hmm. different ways or have just different points of view and different backgrounds. And like finding that balance is a lot harder. And I think this movie, yeah, has the, the perfect sort of twist and metaphor that when she comes into his world, she'll be a, a stardust, you know, will be stardust. Yeah. And, and so now what, how do you move forward when that's your relationship? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, 
it's fair to say that Tristan was not so much in love with Victoria as much as the idea of Victoria right. or, or like the projection of her that he had in his mind. He, he, he was so oblivious to all the signs and like that, you know, how poorly she was treating him. And so, you know, going on that journey and developing his relationship with Yvain, you know, learning to see her as a real person and not just the image or projection that he has of her in his head was, I think, a big jump in the relationship. And, you know, um, both my, my wife and I are out of the church, and so we're not necessarily a mixed faith marriage, but I can see how that would be super important, you know, coming from those different backgrounds of, you know, allowing the other person to be who they are and not who you want them to be in your head and how, you know, important that would be for a healthy relationship. Well, and I think that like, I think this is the point I was going to make is that, and and maybe this is a stretch or doesn't fully connect, but I think something that a realization that helped was that as I went through sort of my transition out of the church is realizing that I had always been in a mixed faith marriage that like, I think I just assumed in a lot of ways that like, oh, the way I see the church or I see, you know, the gospel is the same way you see it, like that we see it the same way. And I think that like, Tristan probably has some of that too, that like earnestness is that like, you know, he's living in a village that borders a wall into a magical world. And not if I lived in a village on the border of a magical wall, like I would want to go through that gate and into that world sometimes. Mm -hmm. But we see people in that, like, obviously that's not a concern for many people in this village or they'd be fending people off all the time to get through that wall. And so I think that like that sort of idea of like, Tristan is different than the people around him. And I think that coming of age is realizing that like, oh, the way I see the world is really different. And like what I thought I wanted at the beginning isn't the same anymore. And I think that sort of unconnected from the movie is that idea of like, I think everyone in the church, like every relationship, whether it's family, siblings, parents, or just friends, like all those relationships in the church are mixed faith because we've all had different experiences And our sort of conclusions we arrive at about a lot of things are informed by those experiences. And so I think that like, sometimes we do a disservice by making things too black and white. It's sort of like how we interpret the gospel that I just like all the gray in in now more and like being okay with not knowing or not, not understanding everything is fine. And I think that there are, there's a lot more healthy relationships to be built when we acknowledge that like, I don't have all the answers. And that's fine. But that's my little soapbox, I suppose. Unconnected to Stardust. Well said. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. We're all we're all mixed faith. That's cool. I I spend you know, the, the way that Tristan kind of ended up in the magical world, like I I spend a, a lot of time, a fair amount of time in the in the post-Mormon world. I think every conference I'm on Twitter, just trying to get a feel of like how what's being said is landing with post-Mormons, you know, just like, okay, I hear what they're saying, but how do they hear what's being said? And people can say that that's healthy or unhealthy, but I just like having a pulse on like what's going on and, and kind of what the issues are and, and just how people are feeling. And so, yeah, I kind of feel a little bit like Tristan in that, in that regard too. Can we talk about that sweet montage where they do fall in love and oh yeah like when they're with the pirates yeah yeah like that's that's a great great scene i love it mm-hmm. yeah those are you know like i i grew up 
loving books. Like I, I read and I still read a lot, but like, like for me, like it's moments like that, that make movies, like just have that extra sort of something. There's, there's just, you know, the combination of visuals and music and all that sort of like acting just like elevates moments like that, that like are just so hard to write when you're only using prose. And so I think movies do those sort of falling in love moments really well. And, and how does one write that they want a montage here? Do they say like, begin montage and then kind of <laughs> explain? Yeah. I mean, essentially, you know, talking production wise, like once a movie's being made, you've got to break out montages into like, we've got to film all these different things. So we've got to like write out all the different scenes we're going to need so we can dress sets and all that sort of stuff. But, but yeah, usually it's, it's, yeah, it's sort of like, and I think montages are like, they can be super helpful. Like I think when they're done well, they it's really not work. just like a cheating shortcut Yeah, like, for those lazy screenwriters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think, no, I think montages are super effective. They're a really helpful tool. I think when they're used poorly, like audiences can like they know what's up really quick. Mm-hmm. They're like, wait a minute, like this montage, what is going on here? Like this isn't working, but yeah, like montages are just, and like for anyone who's, I guess, confused, I guess, at what the term montage means, but like, essentially it's like, it's like a French word that got applied in film theory that sort of meant just connected, but not continuous sort of scenes that are put together. And uh, so I think like, for me, like the real example of a montage is like in Rocky when he's like training and training and training, mm-hmm. finally like runs up the steps and like is ready to fight. It's just a great way to condense a ton into just a few minutes. And and so like we get really quickly in this movie that like from that montage, they're like, okay, they're falling in love. And we don't have to really ask why or how or like what exactly happened. Like we can just get it really quickly visually. And yeah, I love that sort of stuff. And, you know, Tristan gaining his skills with a sword. Right. You know? <laughs> I, I, I think it's a good way to show um, like a process as opposed to yeah. an event. Yeah. Good shorthand. And to show the, the passage of time. Yeah. And I think I was going to say that I think it's interesting because like Tristan's definitely not like while he's falling in love, he's also like sort of leveling up as a character. Like if he were, <laughs> you know, like, like he's definitely like changing his appearance and like becoming more of sort of like the hero we expect in this story. And I think that like kind of going back to that, like sort of what you were saying earlier, Kyle, of like why these sort of movies resonate with Mormons. But I think just audiences in general is that sort of wish fulfillment of like the guys who watch this want to get that sort of leveling up to be the hero. And and on the, the flip side, like the women who are watching are probably identifying or the movie wants you to identify with Yvonne of sort of like her becoming like falling in love, but also like becoming more relaxed in this world that like she's starting to fit in more. Yeah. The hero's journey. So this is his mentor would be uh, Captain Shakespeare. Right. And this is Mm -hmm. kind of the moment on the hero's journey where, um, like you said, leveling up. I don't know. Is there, is there a technical term for that in the, in the actual hero's journey that I'm not remembering? Oh, I'm sure there is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, we could debate story structure forever, all the different ways to analyze it. But yeah, I think that like, it's fun because at least the fun way they sort of spin that like mentor trope on its ear is that like, he's becoming more of like a man, Tristan, but it's <laughs> Captain Shakespeare who it, like isn't sort of the traditional male mentor figure we would expect, you know, like he's not, 
he's not the guy we would expect to sort of be the one to make him the hero which is a fun little twist on it too. Right. Well, he's at the same time he's teaching him to sword fight. He's teaching her to dance. Like right. he's, yeah, he's like this Renaissance man. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's taking care of both of them. Yeah. And he just puts on that big show, you know, when, when they first get on the ship and then he's like, they finally get into his little like quarters and he's like, so tell me, tell me all about London. And he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> cracks me up. Yeah. When I love, yeah. we haven't talked to a whole lot about, the brothers mm-hmm. yet either but i think they're just a really fun almost like running gag through this like their story ultimately sort of doesn't conclude in the in any sort of or at least not the the biggest way that maybe we would think at the beginning of the movie like they don't become as villainous sort of as as maybe they're they're set up to be which i think is a fun little twist that like the little voodoo doll mm-hmm. sword fight is a really fun ending and but yeah i just love sort of the relationship there of like all the backstabbing and like the, you know, again, sort of like playing a part, sort of like it comes into their story a lot of like how they have to like manipulate each other and and pretend to get along. And it's just a lot of fun. It cracked me up how their dad, like before he died, like they go and they push the one brother out the window and then the dad just starts laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, what kind of family is this? And don't they all die and come back as ghosts, like in the moment of death? Yeah. So like yeah. his face is all squished up and yeah. Yeah. One of them dies in the bathtub. So then he's naked as a ghost, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as everything comes, comes together, it's, it was cool that uh, I think it's Una, right? Una's mm-hmm. like the, the sister. Yeah. It's this very satisfying ending. Yeah. Well-structured. I think how, uh, everything concludes and converges at the same time. I have to say, go, just going back to the the voodoo doll sword fight, I think, and I'm not like a, a swordsman or a fencer or choreographer or anything, but I think that to my untrained eye, that is one of the most well choreographed sword fights just because of like the way that he's acting and moving, even though right. it's, like, it's his dead corpse, but like it's being controlled. <laughs> It's just like really comical, but also like it's like a real sword fight and it's just super fun to watch, which and like just making another connection to um, the Princess Bride. I've heard that the sword fight that they have, you know, the man in black with the top of the cliffs. I hear I've heard that that's like one of the most famous, well choreographed sword fights in all of film history. Like it's legitimately one of the best out there. It's not just like a, you know, and, and it's in this fun you know, family fantasy movies. So anyways. Yeah. I, I've watched Princess Bride for the first time with subtitles recently. And they're like talking about techniques. <laughs> like I didn't catch that. They're like, I typically use a gripa or something. Like, uh-huh. I don't remember what the techniques were, but it was, it was fun to be like, that's what they're saying. Right. It's like sword fighting terms. Yeah. Yeah. We could use more swashbuckling in movies. these yeah. days, Yeah. And in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Well, I don't know if I have a whole lot else to say about Stardust. I feel like this is just like a good movie. It's not a movie to me that's like maybe going to be at the top of anyone's like top 10 best movies ever list. But like, I feel like the movies that usually end up on those lists aren't movies I want to rewatch a whole Mm -hmm. lot anyway. And this is one that like I always enjoy turning on because it's just a good it's a good time. But like it just has something for everyone. And Mm -hmm. This isn't a movie that I would have like thought to talk about on this podcast as far as like 
related to the podcast, but I feel like the more I watched it and then the more we talked is like pulling out all these things it's uh, that I think did resonate and yeah, which is, it's fun. That's usually how these episodes go. I feel yeah. like, you know, <laughs> well, the thing is Dan likes to talk about like sort of where, and yeah, as a Mormon, we talked about likening the scriptures <laughs> right. to ourselves. I feel like movies have definitely been scripture to me in a lot of ways. <laughs> so I feel like I just, it's inevitable that whenever I watch a movie, I start relating all this, the stuff that's happening and the themes to, well, what does that mean for me? And so it's always fun when movies resonate like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very rewatchable and fun to see all these actors like in their younger years, you know, that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's always a joy. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on Kyle? No, I think we covered we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. I, cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. Pleasure to kind of tease out these ideas and think about it in a new way. Yeah. Well, again, we're really glad that you reached out. I'm glad to have you on the show. So, so thanks for joining us. Um, we'd be happy to have you back again. So stay in touch. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. I have, have some ideas for that. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us and listening to the conversation. We'll wrap it up. So we'll see you again for another episode. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Postmormon at the Movies is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the movies next time.